We're going to uh, begin this morning in uh, the book of Philippians today. We have been since Mother's Day going all the way to Father's Day talking about unexpected heroes. And right now we're going to have one of our interns who's studying for the ministry, wants to be a preacher. I believe he's going to be one. Uh, He is coming up here this morning and he is going to help us with our reading. So why don't you stand together and let Seth lead us this morning in our scripture reading. Good morning. I will be reading Philippians 2, chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, and chapter 4, verse 18. I will read, and you guys can follow along with me, starting in verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me." In chapter 4, verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, you are so good, and it is so good to be in your house and in your presence today. Lord, I pray that you'd continue being with us and moving. God, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to us and encourage us and admonish us. Lord, I pray that you'd just bless the preaching and teaching of your word and that you'd help Pastor Phil just speak to us, God, and that you would speak, God, that you would move. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Seth. So you have your Bibles open there to uh, the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 25 and we're going to pick up and keep talking about these unexpected everyday heroes uh, that just sort of sometimes get overlooked in the scriptures but boy do they have an impact. And so we've talked about Esther, we've talked about Naaman's maid, last week we talked about Ruth. Today we're going to talk about this man named Epaphroditus. He is a minister and we're going to talk about him today. He's found in the New Testament, and to be honest with you, he probably is the best example yet of what modern heroes look like, heroes, everyday heroes in local New Testament churches. He is a layman. He's from the church at Philippi, which Paul the Apostle was able to start, and his courage and diligence sets an example and presents a challenge to all of us. Now, Paul had a lot of thanksgiving for this church in Philippi. He was only there a short time. He had received a call, a vision in Mas- to, to come to Macedonia. A man uh, was in the vision. When he got there, he found out it was a woman. Her name was Lydia. She was the first one that came to faith. A church was started in her house, and there were some great things happened. In chapter 1, he talks about them. He's thankful for their fellowship and the gospel. In chapter 4, uh, kind of the end of the thing, he thanks them because once again, their spirit of giving is renewed and they found out where he was and they took an offering and they sent it by this man, Epaphroditus, and it showed up there. 
uh, in the middle of all of this, uh, between chapter 1 and chapter 4, kind of sandwiched in between is rather long section that talks about, well, maybe a few cracks in the kingdom, a little bit of a situation that he wanted to address, something that could lead to disunity in the church. And let me read it to you in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. The words will be on the screen. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 was Paul's concern, even though the church was doing so well. If there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now watch three and four. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others, a little bit of the me first mentality, a little bit of the desire for prominence, a little bit of the desire for self-recognition was creeping in and he wanted to talk about it. So how did Paul address this? He gave three examples of people who were humble, three examples of people who were true servants. The first one that he gave, believe it or not, was the example of Jesus Christ. We know him, of course, he is the one who did not think it was robbery to be equal with God, but he came to earth. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a man, a servant. In fact, he even died on the cross for our sins and was crucified. There's another man after Jesus that was the second example, and it was Timothy. We know Timothy really, really well. Uh, he is the one uh, that uh, Paul said of him, I've got nobody like him. There's just no one else like Timothy. Uh, he does not look out for himself. He looks out for others. He looks out for the things of Christ. He is a servant. I'm not going to spend much time on him except to say that after I get done with the book of John, I'm going to preach a series called Order in the Church. I and the church staff are going to preach Order in the Church, and we're going to look at First and Second Timothy and Titus. But I do want to just look at one thing concerning Timothy, and that is he was a leader in the church. Uh, I call him number two. He always worked and served in the, in the shadow of his father in the faith, the apostle Paul. And so he was, I call him number two. He never complained about it. He just served in the best way he could. He served in the shadow of Paul. He was trusted, faithful, selfless. He cared for the well-being of God's flock. He was always being sent somewhere by Paul. He was there always to put things right, to address difficult situations. He was establishing churches. He was encouraging disheartened and endangered believers. He was concerned not only for his own things, but the things of others and the things of Christ. In short, this man, Timothy, cared deeply for the church and the churches. Today, I want to focus on the third man in the list. He is our man, our hero, the unexpected hero of the day. His name is Epaphroditus. He's literally named after Aphrodite. Aphrodite, if you might remember, was a Greek goddess of love, but she also was the goddess of gambling. Epaphroditus actually means he runs a risk. He was a risk taker for Jesus, and he did. He ran a great risk by taking on a certain responsibility. Now, Paul was in jail. He had been placed in jail in Rome because of his preaching and teaching about King Jesus. Uh, anybody that was a companion of Paul was going to be suspected by the Romans. So just the idea of taking an 800-mile dangerous journey across the Mediterranean late in the year and then crossing land uh, that was full of thieves and robbers and then walking up, showing up and saying, hey, 
uh, I'm a fellow servant of the apostle Paul and I want to see him. Well, you are going to be suspect. He ran all sorts of risk. Well, Paul hadn't heard from the people at Philippi for quite some time because he continued to travel. And not only that, but from time to time he was arrested like at this time. But when the church found out that he had been arrested, that he was in jail in Rome, they immediately wanted to renew their support of him. So they gathered an offering and they looked, what are we going to do? Who are we going to find to take this 800 mile journey? Well, there was no doubt. They had a man in their, in, um, in, among them who was faithful, who was trustworthy, and they were going to send him. And his name was Epaphroditus. Off he went to, from Philippi to Rome. He had an offering in his backpack. He had determination in his heart, and he was there to encourage and serve this beloved apostle and the man who had founded their church. He made it. He got there. But as we read in the passage, uh, he got deathly sick on the trip. There was some contagion, maybe on the journey on the boat, maybe overland, or maybe once he got to Rome, he got death. He almost died. The scripture says he literally hazarded his life. He was so sick and he arrived there. Well, the passage goes on to say that when Epaphroditus heard that they, his home church, was distressed about him, he became distressed about them. Then Paul, there's plenty of worry to go around. Paul began to worry about both him and them that they were distressed over each other's condition. And so he determined that it was necessary. Now he's going to go, Timothy's going to go, but it's necessary first. Let me send this man, Epaphroditus, back. I've got to encourage that church. They're worried about him. I want them to see that he's hale and hearty. He's good. He's doing well. And so this layman, beloved tremendously both by the apostle and by his home church, is the subject and so we're going to look at him, and I want to say this about him this morning. I want to talk about this servant. I don't want to talk about just pastors who are supposed to be servants, but I want to talk to laymen. I want to talk to people in the church like this man, Epaphroditus. First thing I want to say is laymen ought to set the example of selfless service to God and his people just like paid pastors, ministers, preachers. We ought to set the example of selfless service. Uh, chapter 4, verse 11 and following says that pastors, teachers, and evangelists are supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, somebody did a really good job with Epaphroditus because he was greatly equipped and he was ready to serve. He was sent. That is the word. He was sent. He was a messenger. He was a sent one. Comes from the root word apostolos. And if we say apostle with a capital A, the apostles, we're talking about the 12 men who had special authority, who had apostolic gifts of confirmation. That's who we're talking about. There's 12 of them. There's no more of them. But if we talk about sent ones with a small a, same word, apostolos, we're talking about not the apostles, but any apostle. In a sense, this church sent me to Peru in, 2000, in 1989, along with my wife, you sent me with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the purpose of establishing churches. I did that, and so I was an apostle. I was a sent one. Well, that's who this man is. He is uh, Epaphroditus, the sent one. It was necessary that he send him there. Well, I just want to say this about this man, uh, Epaphroditus, and people like him. Our church, any church, anywhere, cannot function without people, men and women like Epaphroditus. 
This man Epaphroditus is an unknown except in relation to this church at Philippi. He is like one of those Bible characters, many of whom dance across the pages of Scripture for just a few verses or just a chapter or two. They show up. God uses them amazingly. They serve for such a time as this like Esther did. They serve their own generation according to the will of God like David did. But they're there. They're insignificant in the big scheme of points, but greatly significant for God. There are many of them in the scriptures. Dorcas of Joppa, who was a seamstress and made things for those widows that were there. Aquila and Priscilla were Paul's tent maker friends. Then there was Phoebe, the servant of God who hosted a church in her home. And then there were the two that are listed in chapter four of Philippians, Euodia and Sintiche, which are examples of those who were so helpful to Paul. Epaphroditus was one of those kind of people. Now, when the offering was taken up for the missionary, uh, he took it, made the trip, gave it to Paul, and he did his job well. Now, I want to talk about, from our passage of Scripture today, I want to talk about five traits, five markers, five characteristics of local church heroes. I want you to mark them down. First thing I want you to do is look at verse number 25 in your Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Here's what it says. I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. First word I want you to underline, circle, or put a star by is the word brother. And then the second word is fellow worker. And the next word is fellow soldier. And the next word is messenger. And the next word is ministered to my need. Minister. So here's the words. We have brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. Those are your words. Now I want to talk about how those five character traits that Paul used to talk about this man Epaphroditus are the character traits that should be evident in the lives of those of us who name the name of Jesus in a local New Testament church. So the first one I want you to see is, write them down, uh, the heroes, the real heroes of a local New Testament church do several things and here's what they do. One, they see themselves as part of a family. My brother, he said, and Paul called him his brother. Now, he did not have the exact same relationship with Epaphroditus that he did with his son in the faith, Timothy. He and Timothy went everywhere together. They were inseparable once he had brought him together. And when he did send him somewhere, he almost always followed up wherever he sent him. They were, they had a special relationship, but Epaphroditus had a relationship with him as well. We don't all have exactly the same relationship with everybody in every location, in every situation. Now, how many of you know at least 10 people at Grace Church? Would you raise your hand? Now, do you dislike the rest of the people? Are you just against the rest? No, no, no. It's just that you know some. You have a relationship with some. They, are, they interact with you. It's not unusual. You know, Jesus had 70 that he sent wherever he wanted to go, he sent out seven. But he also had 12. No sense for the 70 to get upset about the 12. But within the 12, he had three, Peter, James, John. But among the three, he had Peter. There was a tremendous relationship with one of those people who he was going to use to help found the church, Peter, the apostle Peter. He had the keys. Now, uh, well, there's no sense for, no, no, no reason for jealousy. It's just that not every relationship is exactly the same with every person and it shouldn't shock us. 
And so what we do have to listen to this, we have to understand what Jesus had to say about his family. Now, his mother and his brothers, I mean his literal mother Mary and his brothers, those that were younger than him, showed up where he was teaching at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration one day. Mark 4.33 records what happened. The people said, hey, your mother and your brothers are here outside and they want to talk to you. Jesus was teaching and he said... Who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around in the circle at those who sat about him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. And Jesus made it very, very clear that those servants of his, those followers of his, those disciples of his that were following him, they were his brothers and sisters. And uh, it's interesting, brothers and sisters in Christ. We call each other brethren. I don't know why we don't call the women sistren, but it doesn't sound very good. I guess we just won't say that. So anyway, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all children of the same father. Now you get tired of me saying this, but this ought to encourage your heart. God has no grandchildren, no nieces and nephews, no first or second cousins. The only relationship that any believer has with God in heaven, the father in heaven, is that we are his children. I am the child of God. Are you the child of God? Are you glad to be that today? Say amen. amen. Children of God. That's wonderful. Brothers of our elder brother, Jesus. We are brothers and sisters. It's so wonderful to know. Now, we need to be like Jesus in this family relationship. Jesus did things like wash his brother's feet that one night as they were getting ready before he was to be crucified. Mark 10, when he was talking to them about their argument, they were having about who was the greatest. He said, it shouldn't be like that among you. Whoever desires to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever among you desires to be first, let him be slave of all. Listen to verse 45. Jesus set the example. For even the son of man had not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, let me give you a few thoughts about family and about a relationship, a brother and sister in Christ in a church. Uh, if we look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, here's what it looks like. Number one, uh, we, we cut each other a little bit of slack. How many of you like it when somebody gives you a break whenever you, you, know, you mess up, don't do the right thing? You like it when somebody cuts you just a little slack. Come on. How many of you don't like it that you want people to be mean to you? Raise your hand. No. So when, we, when somebody cuts us a little slack, do you think that we ought to be nice? What does the Bible call it? We ought to be tenderhearted, forgiving one another because we have been forgiven. Cut each other some slack. Then we help each other in times of need. This is what brothers and sisters do. We don't close up our bowels of compassion. The Bible says, how does the love of God dwell in somebody? If we see our brother have need, our sister have need, and we just say, well, you know, be warmed and fed. I hope it goes well for you if we have the ability to do something about it. And so we help. What else do we do? Well, families stay together. We don't abandon each other. We don't let personal preferences, annoying practices separate us. We don't forsake the assembly. Let me ask you a question. How long would natural families last if the first irritation sent us packing? But do you know, Sometimes people, <laughs> I hear somebody say, well, Pastor, Pastor Phil, do you know so-and-so's left the church? Yeah, they left the church. And sometimes before I can even get to them, they've already left that one and been in two other churches. It shouldn't be that way. We're not supposed to just abandon each other. We're a family. Then we offer our gifts. 
how God has made us and wired us and the gifts that he's given us, we offer it to the church. And this is what Romans says, or Ephesians 4 says, every part does its part and it results in growth and love. What else do we do if we're part of a family? Well, we watch out for each other. We note when somebody is cooling off or being dragged away or being tempted or when they're damaging their testimony. Because you who are spiritual are supposed to, in a spirit of humility, restore these people. It's so very important. We are to encourage and admonish and watch out for one another. Then we love each other because of who we are, children of the Father, the same Father, because of whose we are. We belong to him because of where we are headed. Folks, we might as well get used to each other. We're going to spend eternity, eternity together in heaven. It's so important. We are a family. For years, it was out on the balcony out there, a family of friends and families stick together. Let me move to the second thing he said. He said uh, that uh, believers in a local church uh, that are true heroes, they see themselves as active partners. That's the way I say it. Look at verse number 25. He says, he's my brother and he's my fellow worker. He's We're active partners. That spoke of his fellowship or partnership in the gospel. Paul said that over and over in the New Testament. Those two quarreling women, they're called Euodia and Sintiche in chapter four, verses one and following. He called them fellow workers. Epaphroditus was not merely, this man Epaphroditus was not just merely a church attender. He was under the burden of the work. He was in the yoke with the fellow believers there in chapter one. I cannot think of a better illustration in the scripture of this than the four faithful men who worked together in unity to bring the paralyzed man to Jesus so that he could be saved and healed. That was in Mark chapter two. Imagine the scene. They have a paralyzed friend. They want him to get to Jesus for forgiveness and healing, but he could not get himself there. He had to be carried. And so four men grabbed each one a corner of his pallet and they carried him to Jesus. And by the way, that is exactly what we're to be doing, carrying the gospel to people so that we can carry people to Jesus. And so they each grabbed hold of a corner of the blanket. Now, when they, when they got to where Jesus was, there were crowds that hindered the progress and then logistics became very complicated. So what did they do? Give up and say, well, we tried, that's it. This paralyzed guy, sorry, man, you're just gonna, no, 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 they didn't give up. One person had the idea, another person found a rope, and another one had an engineer's mind, and he he knew how to cut a hole in the roof. He knew just where the beams were, and he cut a hole in the roof, and the fourth guy just stood there and clapped and said, hey, man, I didn't have the idea, but just show me where to grab hold. Let me tell you something. I want to tell you something about how churches operate and how they do so well. This is when churches flourish, is when everybody's asking, which corner of the cot can I grab hold of? What part can I do? What part can I play? Where do I grab hold? Clap for the rest of them. Encourage the rest of them. Just say, hey man, let me, let me help. Let me be a part. Getting people to Jesus is not a one-man show. We have all need to grab hold of a corner of the blanket. They see themselves as active partners, active partners. And what they did is, is they, there's that man down. He came in front of Jesus and up he stood on his feet. Four men, partners in the gospel. Folks, far too many people come to church to be served, not to serve. They want to know, what are your programs? Just how is the music? 
And what do you have for facilities? And just how much do you expect of me? Don't expect too very much. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that everyday heroes are believers that get in the yoke. They grab a corner of the blanket. They help. They serve. They labor. I, I just, I can't help but mention this. As you came in today, you saw all of the stuff that was prepared for our upcoming kid venture, right? You saw all this stuff that's out there. And I, I know there were a lot more people involved in this, but I know that Devana and Joanna Robinson and uh, Rebecca uh, Horseman and some others were out there and, and uh, they were doing all this work, just getting ready for your children, getting ready for our version of Vacation Bible School. We call it Kid Venture, comes up this next week. And I mean, they were just laboring, doing what they could, using their abilities and doing what they could to get ready for that. And uh, the thing I was really worried about this morning when I came in and saw that big Monopoly thing all set up, I thought I really need to watch, get somebody to watch my staff to make sure they're not playing Monopoly while I'm preaching the sermon this morning. So, but I'm just saying, I mean, it's amazing when people come together, what they can accomplish and what they can work, what they can, uh, what they can do together. Listen to Philippians 127, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, standing together and that with one mind, you are striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said it this way in Colossians 1.29, to this end I also labor and I strive according to his working which works in me mightily. You know, many of us have this mentality that church is a place where we come and greet all of our brothers and sisters. We hear a sermon, we sing a few songs, we get a cup of coffee, we pat each other on the back and this is church. And then same time, same station next week, we'll do it all over again. <laughs> no, listen, there's a lost world out there. We need to get each one of us a corner of the blanket and try to bring people to Jesus to the best of our ability. Amen. This is what we need to do. This is what we do. We, we don't just spectate. Let me just give you a few things. Let's not be spectators. Let's not just go along for the ride. Let's not only be cheerleaders. Now we need, everybody needs to cheer each other on, but not only cheerleaders. And then let's not be church critics. Oh, I've been in the ministry 44 years and I've just got to tell you, there is always an abundance of those that have just got a thought about everything. And, it's, and I hear people, well, I just want to give some constructive criticism. It never feels very constructive. Let me share this with you. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless like harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Let me ask you a question. What kind of world are we living in? We're living in the midst of a crooked and? Is it not true? It was then, it's now. And what does he say? So that you can shine like lights. We're the light of the world, right? So brother, we need to encourage each other, not criticize each other. We got a big job to do. I need to be encouraged to let my light shine before men so that they can see the goodness in me that God has given me and glorify my father, which is in heaven. I need to be the light of the world and I need you to encourage me and I need you to encourage, I need to encourage you and you need to encourage each other. Let's shine for Jesus holding forth the word of light. Oh, it's so important. Number three, they see themselves as soldiers. Don't hit the door. Just hold on. They see themselves as brethren. They see themselves as active participants. And they see themselves as soldiers in an army. He called him a fellow soldier. Paul liked military terminology. He considered that he and all the Christians were in a spiritual battle. The armor of God, swords, 
shields, warfare. These are all terms that uh, Paul used a lot. Because of what Epaphroditus had endured, he called him a soldier. We're called to this. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So many of us have it in our mind that this Christianity thing is you know, like a trip on a love boat. Folks, it's not like a trip on a love boat. It's like a trip on a battleship. We're in a battle with the devil and he hates you. Listen, I said it in the first service. Do we, when are we gonna get it in our mind that this world and the God of this world hates you, hates your children, hates this church, hates the gospel, hates our heavenly father and really hates the Lord Jesus Christ and we are in a battle. So we better just, you know what? We better realize, might as well stand up straight. Might as well just bow your neck a little bit and understand we're in the army now. We're in the Lord's army. We are soldiers and soldiers are supposed to, endure hardness. We don't wilt at the first difficulty. We serve him as soldiers. Now there's going to be sacrifices in an army. Erroneously, many people assume that if they give themselves to serve God in some capacity, there's some guarantee of protection. They'll never have a hard time. There is thought to be some bubble of protection around us. Paul went through untold hardship, pain. He had shipwrecks and beatings and you name it. Was he not in God's will? There will be risk involved. Epaphroditus risked his life, and I won't repeat it, but he risked his life to get this offering and to offer his service to the man Paul. There may be loss. There may be loss. How many of you ever heard of the name Jim Elliott? How many of you know who that is? Jim Elliott. Back in the 50s, missionary. In fact, the year that I was born, 1957, went to Ecuador to carry the gospel to a group of Indians known to be cannibals, known to be murderous. He went there. He lost his life in the process. Let me tell you another story. There may be lost. Did you ever hear of John and Betty Stamm? John and Betty Stamm, those students that talked to us a few minutes, most of them are from Moody Bible Institute studying for the ministry. Well, these two, John and Betty Stamm, graduated at Moody Bible Institute and they left from Patterson, New Jersey to go to China. I had a privilege of being in this church. They arrived in 1931 to China and were moved to their area of ministry in 1934 during the Chinese Civil War. They were arrested and held for ransom. No ransom was forthcoming. They didn't wait for negotiations and the Stams were led away to be killed. On the way, Betty was allowed to tend her baby daughter, Helen, and when she did, she hid the child in a sleeping bag in a fellow Christian's bedroom. The man of the home begged for the couple to be spared, but the soldiers took him as well. A little further on, John Stamm was forced to his knees and he was beheaded in front of his wife. Then Betty and the Christian layman were also beheaded. Thankfully, little Helen was found in the house two days later and was miraculously reunited with her grandparents who also were missionaries and continued to be missionaries. Their tombstones read the following. John Cornelius Stamm, born January 18, 1907, that Christ may be glorified whether by life or death, Philippians 1.20. Elizabeth Scott Stam, his wife, February 22nd, 1906, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 121. December 8th, 1934, Mia Osheo Anui, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. 
All three giving their life for the cause of the gospel. You say, oh, what a tragedy, what a travesty. Untold thousands gave, their, gave themselves to be missionaries upon the loss of these people. Because you see, God knows what he's doing. The story of their martyrdom, martyrdom is much published and has inspired many to become missionaries. There's a fourth thing under this thing about being a soldier. There will be a sustained spiritual war. A sustained spiritual war. Ephesians 6, 12. Here's why. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Those that, are, those that are performing and promoting earthly wickedness are being promoted and motivated and inspired by those that live in heavenly wickedness. So here's what we need to do because of this spiritual war. The first thing is we do not need to be shooting our wounded. Whenever somebody has a problem, they make a mistake, they do something that's wrong, we don't take a gun and shoot them and say, well, well good riddance, bad rubbish, we don't need, no, 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 we don't do, we, we offer, we do like the good Samaritan, we see that they've been, they've been robbed and beaten and we offer them help and first aid and further aid and final aid, we just keep working. We don't abandon the ones who stumble. We don't fight with our brothers and sisters over anything and everything and secondary issues. We don't do that. And then listen to this one. We don't compete with each other. We, con we encourage each other. Let me tell you the bane of Christianity in the year 2023. Let me tell you the bane of it in our, here it is. Churches that are in competition one with another, thinking and fighting over the same people and hoping that somebody else doesn't do so well so that they can do better and get their people. Competition among churches that believe the same thing. That doesn't glorify God, folks. Something else that doesn't glorify God is competition within the same church between areas of ministry. Doesn't glorify God, but rather collaboration, cooperation, prayer, love, and giving, giving, of one, giving ourselves to one another. Oh, we don't need to compete. We need to encourage. Let me move quickly to the fourth one. And the fourth one is they see themselves as appointed messengers. And that's the word that we talked about a while ago. Apostolos, sent ones. And we get the word apostle from that word. Paul had been absent from Philippi for many years. He started the church. Persecution sent him away very, very soon. He wanted to know what was going on. And so he was so thrilled whenever Epaphroditus showed up. He wanted to know how Lydia was doing. That was the first person saved. She opened her house and started the church there in the city of Philippi. He wanted to know how the jailer who got saved at the mid midnight earthquake revival, he wanted to know how he was doing and how his family was doing and how, how was the church doing? He wanted to know all about this. He knew names, he knew circumstances, but he didn't have the news. He didn't know what was happening. And so this Epaphroditus was a messenger. He was their messenger sent to encourage Paul. But you know, we can give messages too. We got messages to, sh to share. The first thing we can do is we can give the message of encouragement to one another. How many of you would rather hear somebody try to encourage you than to criticize you? Say amen. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. Acts 16, 40, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them. Paul, who had been beaten, went to the house and tried to encourage the ones that were there. And then uh, the next one, we can also give the message of admonition. Romans 5, 14, now I myself, Paul says, am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness filled with knowledge and able to admonish one another. You mean, what do you mean admonish one another? When you see your brother, your sister 
cooling off in their Christian faith, departing from the faith, uh, missing their appointed opportunities to serve or to participate or to worship together. When they're starting to just start to disappear, then we have the goodness in our heart. We have the knowledge of the schemes and the snares of the devil. We know what's happening and we care enough to say, brother, I've been missing you. Sister, what's going on? Let me pray with you. Won't you come? Won't you rededicate yourself to the cause of Christ? Admonition. He says, I'm convinced that you're good enough and you know enough to do this. And then here's the message of wisdom. God gives wisdom to his people. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Here's the message, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So using wisdom that we're able to give counsel to one another. And then, of course, the message of all messages. The Messiah has come. Sin has an atonement. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. I just have to tell you, last night I was at Parker Palooza at Evelyn Davis, and it was such a blessing. It wasn't the biggest crowd I've ever seen, but boy, there was a bunch of people there. I didn't see hardly anybody that was not like part of our team that didn't have some kind of an invitation to church, a gospel track in their pocket, or one of the kid venture invitations. It was in their pockets. It was in their hands. It was awesome. I was standing back and I had been talking to people. And by the way, some of the people I invited were here. I just met them. They were in the chat room just a few moments ago, came to the first service. I want you to know this. I looked around and I saw here and there and there, I saw Torin Billups standing over there with a guy, arm around him. I took a picture of it and there he was. This guy hadn't been in our church four or five years and man, he's growing like crazy. And there he was, head bowed right in the middle of this crowd and praying with this guy. It says on the back of his church, can I pray with you on the back of his shirt? I was so encouraged. The world needs Jesus. How many of you believe that's true? Well, we got to get on a corner of the blanket and make it happen. We got to grab hold somewhere. We got we to be a part of this. Finally, they see themselves as ministers. He was a minister. But for the church, he was their minister and messenger. He was the servant of the church family. He was their minister. He was a servant to his church body. He served among them. Therefore, he was fit to be sent out from them. Did you get that? He served among them. Therefore, he was fit to be sent out from them. Do you know what? Do you know a person who never serves at home seldom becomes a servant when they cross an ocean or a national border? Do you know a person who never has a gospel witness on their lips at home seldom becomes a gospel witness because they get sent somewhere else? Oh, it's so important. When a church is operating in unity and accord, here's the truth. The members are the ministers. Pastor Phil, I thought we paid you to be the minister. Oh, woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Woe be unto me if I don't set the example of hands-on service and be like my Lord Jesus, be willing to wash feet, be willing to help, be willing. Woe be unto me if I don't set the example, but woe be unto you if you don't understand that you've been saved for the purpose of ministry. The members are the ministers, ministry, serving one another. Epaphroditus ministered to Paul's need. They hadn't been able to locate him, but they finally did, and he ministered to him. Epaphroditus ministered to his church's concern. When Epaphroditus was informed that people back home were worried sick, he had to get back to them because he was so worried. He loved his church. He longed for them. And you know, this kind of united love of a church member in his home church is not automatic it's just not automatic. We have lost one of our Epaphrodite. Not long ago, Linda Charleston went to be with Jesus. 
How many of you know who Linda Charleston is? Raise your hand. Oh, my soul. For I don't know how many decades Linda Charleston was a part of this church. And everywhere you look, she showed up in some capacity, serving among the women, serving and teaching young women how to sew, serving and doing, beginning the quilt ministry, serving in counseling, serving in witnessing and discipleship, serving in every possible way she could, always welcoming, always helping, always available, always there, always present. This was Linda Charleston. I know Brother Don was here in the first service, and I'm sure he brought a tear to his eyes. I talked about his dear wife, but I want to tell you, not only does, does Don miss Linda Charleston, but I want to tell you something. Grace Church misses Linda Charleston. The Paphrodite, I call her. So what does Paul say in his letter to Philippi? He says, well, when, you, when Epaphroditus gets back to you, make sure you receive him. Receive him. Don't question him. Don't have questions in your heart. Was he really sick? Was it really that bad? No, no, no. Don't. Paul said, receive him. Believe him. Then he said, recognize him. Honor people like this. Esteem them highly. He sent back Epaphroditus. It was his idea. Epaphroditus may have been torn between staying to minister and going home to his church, but Paul made the decision. No, you need to go. It may seem like a contradiction when I say, and when Paul said, recognize them, honor them. Well, we're not supposed to be self-seeking. We're not supposed to seek our own praise. We're not supposed to elevate ourselves. But why in the world would we not want to recognize those among us who serve among us? And Paul said, people like Epaphroditus are worthy of honor. And he asked some instructions. He says, so rejoice Rejoice with your servants. Rejoice in their ministry. Rejoice in their well-being. Rejoice that they are restored to you. You know, we have so many people like Epaphroditus. I mentioned Parker Palooza just a few moments ago and some that were witnessing during that time. But I got to tell you, it's an amazing thing. More than a decade now, Parker Palooza has been going on. It's just one thing at our church. It's just one little three, four-day event, and it's just one thing. But it takes an army. Before I got there, somebody had already been there and done all the hard work of putting up all, the t- all of the inflatables and putting up the little tents and the food services and the grills. All that work had already been done. And I got there and got the opportunity to preach last night and to share the gospel. But after it was over, I stayed around and it looked like somebody let loose an army of ants. You should have seen it. I mean, just as soon as Pastor Andrew headed, says, that's it, folks. It's 8 o'clock. We go 6 to 8. It's all over now. If you want to join us tomorrow night at Union Park, you're welcome. You come over there and join us. But we're going to put things away now. Boom. And then like ants. They went and everybody headed somewhere. And before you know it, those six or seven inflatables are down and folded and rolled. And man, those things are rising out there trying to roll. I'm, I can't keep up with these people. And it was done. You know why? Because everybody grabbed hold of something. We got so many people like Epaphroditus. I can't, I'm going to mess up because I'll miss something. But the chat room team, every week... You got the coffee and the donuts. Somebody's got to put that out. That, you know, we don't have kitchen fairies who come and do that. The offering team serves us every week of the year, making sure every penny of the contributions are handled and recorded carefully. The Wednesday meal team, I mentioned it, Bill Baker, after 10 years, is finally retiring from the Wednesday meal preparation. Man, do we owe him a great debt of gratitude for 10 years, feeding like anywhere from 100 to 130 people every week. We have a security team. You know, sometimes Dave Owens meets me when I get here and he says goodbye to me when I leave and he's still working with this security team. It's amazing. And then we have other people here like the mowing team and we've got Mike Hummel. 
Mike gets no money. He's mad at me already for even saying anything about this. But Mike, Mike's out there. He's riding that mower. It takes a lot of time to mow all the grass in this 25 acres around here, around this building. Uh, no fanfare, no propaganda. He just keeps on doing it. If you've been baptized in this church, somebody has to get those towels washed, ready, and folded, and ready for you. And they need to make sure that there are plenty of the shirts that we donate to everybody. And so who is that? That's Dan Wolhoff. And he does it quietly behind the scenes. Nobody knows it, but they're ready every week. Why? Because he's ready, he's serving, he's doing it. Since mid-summer of 2020, we've had one of these Epaphroditus people among us. I guess we could call her Epaphrodita. Epaphrodite, she is a young lady. She came during COVID-19, joined the church, became a greeter, and later volunteered for the security team, and then eventually the medical team, finally became the actual head of the medical team and developed the team into a very professional group. She also joined our own personal community group and she was doing internships and so she had to keep leaving on Sunday afternoon after church and she'd have to drive somewhere and so she would be driving to her an internship and she made us turn on one of our phones and she got on her phone so that she could listen to the group and she would talk, ask questions, make comments about what we were doing in our home group on Sunday night between six and eight o'clock. Today was her last Sunday at Grace Church. I'm talking about Amelia Gilliland. Amelia Gilliland came to us and, boy, you talk about leaving a hole. She's going to leave a hole. She came and she said, here I am, let me serve. Let me help. I'm a follower of Jesus and so I want to help. And she did. Oh, my. She did. And she's going to be going up to New Hampshire and beginning a residency there in an emergency room. She's an emergency room shock trauma specialist. All I got to say is whatever church she finds up there is going to be a greatly blessed church because of her attitude toward it. A lay person like Dorcas of old. We are brothers and sisters. We are partners. We are soldiers. We are messengers. We are ministers. Grace Church should aspire to be a place of grace where everybody is welcome. But Grace Church should aspire to be a place where every member is a minister. Let's let it be so. People ask me, Pastor Phil, how long have you been the minister at Grace Church? I want to turn that around and I want to ask you, how long have you been a minister at Grace Church? If you're new, join in, grab hold. If you've been going for a long time and God's been using you, be faithful to the end and he's going to give you the crown of life. Don't quit. Don't give it. You may have to change what you're doing. Maybe you can't roll up inflatables anymore, but there's always something that we can do. You say, well, I'm 80 and I just can't do those kind of things anymore. Can you get a prayer list and pray? Everybody can be a minister. Wow. How long have you been in the ministry? Epaphroditus, a minister. He's my hero of the day. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Dear Father, thank you for the example of Epaphroditus. Thank you for the many Epaphroditus that we have in our church. Thank you for being a church full of volunteerism, a church full of people who when there's a job to do, don't hesitate to do it. Help us to be like the messenger Epaphroditus, always carrying the message of encouragement and admonition, carrying the message of good news and grace, carrying the message of the gospel. Lord, help us collaborate in cooperation and in concert. Help us to all grab a corner of the blanket, a corner of the cot, and help us to help continually bring people 
to Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.